podcast and not on program podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> The thing is, they took a 3210, covered it in diamonds, and it was actually more destructible than a 3210 in its natural state. <laughs> if I'm sitting in it, it's nice, but I'd never trade in my Subaru for a Rolls Royce. No, that's, I'll have to disagree there. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the fifth podcast for the Pro Detailer magazine. Uh, today, as ever, we are joined by Mr. James Keeley. Hello there. And Mr. Ian Seeley. Hello. And myself, Bert Yule. And today we've got lots of interesting topics to talk about. So what I wanted to hit on initially would be brands and where are they now, because there are some brands that have come and gone and there's a lot of noise and then there's nothing. Um, and that will follow into uh, brands that we think are on the up and up and that are worth keeping an eye out. Um, we were then going to touch on white label products and not necessarily put it to bed, but talk about when is a white label product a white label product and is that a bad thing or a good thing? Because there are a lot of brands appearing where it is effectively a brand, a look, a feel, uh, a price range and not necessarily a, a novel product. Um, so there's lots to be discussed there um, and certainly not negative because there's lots of strong white labeled in some circumstances products uh, that are worth talking about. Then we wanted to touch on mental health for detailers as well, because uh, detailers, both in normal life and sort of in, in lockdown times, go through a lot of different stages. And we, we're aware of a lot of mental health uh, problems that some people have as a consequence of, of lifestyle and also of the kind of the nature, you know, the sort of character that makes a detailer is also potentially susceptible uh, or more commonly susceptible to um, various sort of mental health um, risks, I guess, would be the best way of putting it. Um, and then we were finally going to touch on lockdown activities and what we've been up to while we've been restricted, really. So to kick it off, I was going to ask James to talk about um, a brand that he feels, well, we'll just talk about a particular brand of his choosing um, and the progress of it over the last sort of five, ten years. Yeah, the the one for me that really sort of it didn't shock me, but it was a surprise to see it sort of never really take off on a big scale, but then vanished very quickly. Mm -hmm. um, and the brand still exists, and that's Fireball Career. Um, and I think from memory, the original stockist was uh, UF. Uh, yeah, no, they did. I I, they were I, exclusive, aren't they? They were definitely. Yeah, they, they were, they were de that was definitely the place that I saw it. Yeah. Um, okay. so back in the early days, I was buying Manalakes through them. Um, but they just kind of the products looked great, and I remember at Waxdark twenty, or oh, what was the first Rico Waxdark twenty sixteen, fifth twenty fifteen, fifteen or sixteen. Uh, well, it started in twenty twelve because that's when we launched. And it was two years at Peterborough, and it was two years at Peterborough. So, so actually, 2014, 2014. So yeah. twenty fourteen, Fireball Career had a presence there. I'm not sure if it was with a reseller, but they had some ceramic coatings that were sort of five, six hundred quid a bottle. Mm -hmm. um, but the products looked great. The packaging was fantastic. It was like a very simplistic, clear bottle packaging with just a, a small white label on it. 
And Fireball did well in the mega test as well, didn't it? The wax mega test. The, yeah, certainly in the, in the gloss measuring. Yeah. Um, and he was very curious. It arrived in a sort of a strange, glittery bag that you'd expect in medieval times would hold sort of gold sovereigns or something. And it came with a, a most bizarre little brush for reasons that I still to this day have no idea what will fall. Dust off your, your tin in between uses. <laughs> Possibly. Clean the threads, maybe. Clean the threads on the tin. Yeah. No. But it's. Um, but for me, that was like the, the, the first sort of Korean brand that we saw, um, certainly advertised anyway. Um, and then we've seen quite a few since then. They're yes. quite a big player now, aren't they? Koreans. Yeah, it kind of gave way to Gion, I think, is it? The, the well, took over the, the, so there was a rumour, uh, and it is just a rumour, I've got no evidence to back it up, but there was a rumour that, um, obviously we, this sort of will lead nicely onto our white label section later, but there was a rumour that um, Fireball Korea was buying products from tax systems in Korea, which mm -hmm. is one of the largest uh, manufacturing companies out there. And the rumour was that Gion were also buying products from tax systems, um, which is quite common. I mean, there are a lot of big brands, and we'll talk about that later, that, yeah. that buy in products specifically designed for them. Now, it was... I don't know if it was a coincidence or something happened higher up, but it seemed to be that wherever Gion appeared, Fireball would vanish from. Mm. And that's kind of what happened here. Like the Clark Kent and Superman. Yeah, they were the, never, they were never seen in the same place at the same time. I have a pair of glasses on there. And all of a sudden. You look like Gion. No, no, I've just got glasses on. It's, uh, it's <laughs> so I don't, know if, I don't know if that is true. It could be absolutely wild hearsay, but it was really odd. Gion was this new Korean brand that appeared... And then almost simultaneously, we lost Fireball. Yeah, I mean, a good example is that I know Clean and Shiny, for example, had Fireball in the early days as well. Um, I remember it being on there because around that kind of local area, around Asheville and all that, all the detailers and stuff getting hold of it. Um, and then it pretty much disappeared as soon as Gion came on, on, on the scene for, for CNS. So we don't know. It is pure conjecture. But it's, yeah. it is an interesting coincidence, but yeah. could be a coincidence. But that was one of the rumours that was flying around at the time. Yeah. And that, that fusion wax, you're absolutely right now, I've had a chance to think about it. It was a sort of deep yellowy orange colour. And it, it was really, really impressive. It wasn't cheap either, was it? It was about 60 quid a tin. Yeah, it was definitely it was upper mid range, I'd yeah. say. It wasn't I mean, the, facts, but the fireball pricing was also pretty much in line with Gion's pricing. Mm. Um, and obviously, Nanolex, similar brand, but made in Germany. Mm hmm. Again, similar sort of pricing, similar sort of product range. There are very um, yeah, they're all variations. Premium market position. Yeah, exactly. Um, sort of the the sort of G Technic Swissfax Labo Cosmetica sort of top, top sector. Third, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, they just just went up in smoke and they just vanished. And the brand is still going. That's the crazy thing. Yeah, is that the brand is still going. So if you go to Europe you can still find Fireball Career at resellers. Well, I think there's still a UK rep or, or some, some company bringing it through. Mm. Um, so it's, it's just not... It, it hasn't grown the wings that we thought it would. When we first saw it, we thought, this is different, this is genuine, this is, you know, nicely presented. I thought it was, it was going to be the next big thing. But well, then, maybe it did grow the wings and then they got clipped. Yeah. One thing we're not considering as well, if you think in that sort of uh, that time frame, that's around the same time that 4G came out. <laughs> and we, we all know the, the, the cellular spectrums do affect what goes on uh, in the world. Well, I, I, without... 4G killed 
viable. Without, I'm just saying, <laughs> without confirming or denying any 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 rumours. The um, other side is CLP and labelling and that sort of thing. And I know that in the early days, at least, products coming over from the Far East, particularly did struggle with meeting some of the requirements because I think initially we were a small market, so what's the point in changing all bottling and labelling and, and packaging just for little old England slash Europe? Well, they didn't struggle. They just didn't do it. No. They, it was as simple as that. They yeah. just didn't do it. Um, now when, they're, they're when getting the, better. Yeah, when, when the, I think it was, well, 2017... The reach regulations changed for labelling, bottling, and capping. Well, they came compulsory. So the, the, the new regs were, I think they came out 2011, 2012, and said, this is what we're going to do. And yeah, you get five years to instigate yeah, yeah. it. Like a grace period. A grace period. And then I think they even extended that grace period by a year or two. Uh, but yeah, the, the answer is that UK companies like the likes of Geotechnic have been compliant much more, you know, from dots, so to speak. Um, whereas the ones coming from a, a, a far don't. And talking to other companies, so another one we're going to talk about at some point is Soft99, and they're from Japan. Mm. And it's not that they haven't got regulation. If anything, you could say they've got much harder regulation than we do. It's just that it's different. Yeah. And so, um, you know, they're having to change everything to come over here, which has been a, a big kind of played a big role in, in the rebirth of, of, of Soft99, which we'll go into a bit later. Well, the, th the thing with um, Soft99 is that it was a... It was initially an imported product from Japan, wasn't it? Because Jackie had it in the UK. Yeah, Jackie Wong, who's uh, Nippon Shine. Yeah, um, and it was an imported product from Japan. Yes. So, in theory, with the... Um, uh, what's the phrase? Well, low volume. Low, yeah, low quantity import. If it was under 1,000 kilograms per year, it didn't necessarily need to adhere to CLP. Yeah. The issue was that the quantity started getting higher and then Soft99 obviously realised that there was a market in Europe for it. Then all of a sudden, they needed a European branding and a team to yeah. manage Europe. It's the team and the investment and that's where Damien comes in. So Soft99 Europe, who I went now two years ago to see the relaunch of, of Fusso in Germany, in Berlin. Yeah. And... Blimey, the money that was spent on that Was that when you got lost on the train network? Yeah, I, I, I got to the cheap airport at Berlin. Um, I then got a little confused, and I went, to, I went to the hotel, which was just next to the airport, and they gave me a free um, pass for public transport in Berlin, which I thought was amazing. And so originally I was going to get an Uber, and an Uber would have been 60, 70 quid to where I needed to go. So I thought, sod it, let's use this free thing. So I followed my Google Maps to what I thought was a train state well i thought i was looking for a bus station because that was the route that google suggested but it turns out i can't tell the difference between a bus and a train so i was at this bus station waiting for a bus with a certain number of letters <laughs> on the top. Privilege and um <laughs> anyway i waited for about an hour and no buses with this lettering arrived or anything close to it so i then in my best english asked uh, somebody there who thought i was curious and they said yes you are at the train station i said but i can't see any trains they said yes it's underground and pointed me to a little door that went down to this massive great train station Ah, the U-Bahnhof. Yes, yes, it was something of that nature. Under, underground train station. That's yeah, it was underground, school. but the trains were above ground, so they come up above the ground once you've got onto them. It was yeah, bizarre. it's like going on the Northern Line. Yeah, not done that particularly often, as to be said. Yeah, you get but, past sort of... I think, when does he come up? Just before Highgate. Your sister lives there. It's the brown one, isn't it? Uh, <laughs> black. Northern. No, the brown one's Northern. What, the sister? No, black one's Northern Line, isn't it? It goes, it goes all the way to High Barnet. And I Brown one was Northern Line. I haven't read a tube map in a long time. Uh, no, Brown Line was... Um, oh, was it C no, City's Red? Because the old uh, go from the pink to the brown, Baker Street. 
Yes, that was the reference I was looking for. That was a reference I was looking for. Yeah, well, anyway, so I finally found the train that I was supposed to be on, or the platform I was supposed to be on, having asked many people in booths where to go, and they looked at me like I was stupid, which uh, was a fair comment, I suppose, in the, in the time. And sat my train, showed my free ticket, and I sat back and thought, wow, this is a lovely train. What? It was so clean. It was quiet. <laughs> this is quite an enjoyable peasant carriage. <laughs> And um, where does the horse attach? Yeah, and where's the butler? Sat back and then watched the world go by, and I thought this was brilliant. And then I opened up my phone, uh, I guess about ten minutes in, and realised that I was heading at quite some speed towards Leipzig, um, which is great if you want to go to Leipzig. But I needed to go the other way, and it took about twenty minutes for it to land at the station. And of course, by the time I got to that station, my Berlin-wide free travel card didn't work. So then I got accosted by some chap who wanted money off me. So then I got back on the other train, got to where I wanted to go, because the show was in the evening, so I wanted to go to Checkpoint Charlie just to see what it was like. Turns out it's just a road full of Americans, um, but I think that was the whole point of it anyway. Um, and then went to the classic Remise, and they had this wonderful show. They had armed security guards, which was bizarre, but um, the uh, kind of about 200 people in all treated to a lovely sort of meal and flashing lights and sound systems. And we had a chappy talk about Japanese sword technology. It was it was just an amazing night. Um, and then it went on till two in the morning in the end. Um, and I did some interviews with Damien and a couple others. And then got an Uber, the day, most dangerous Uber in the world, back to this slightly crummy hotel next to the airport. And then got to five o'clock flight the following morning, so I had about two hours kip. Got to the airport and all the security machines apart from two had broken, so the queue was going out the front. I arrived on time and would have made it if it wasn't for lots of other tourists jumping the queue. And I got very angry and a bit British and I, I, I did firm words and frowning uh, in order to get onto the plane. And most embarrassing, an Irish girl pushed past me violently to get on and said, I'm going to miss my plane otherwise. And oh, then... Like the exact same thing that happened to me in um, Milan then. Uh, not far off. Not far when off. When I was pushed in front of because she was going to miss her flight and then she sat next to us. Yeah, and exactly that. And it was, and she sat next to me and she sort of looked sheepish and said, sorry, but I didn't want to miss the flight. And I was like, same flight as me, sunshine. Um, so again, that was frowning in firm words. Um, but anyway, so that was Soft 99 launching. Who's this frowning? <laughs> frowning. It's a friend of mine. Um, and she, she's a friend of yours. She, fra- I, I miss <laughs> <laughs> bit of a German joke there. bit of a German joke boom and uh, so anyway the Soft 99 thing was pretty sensational and then cycle forward to what three four months ago I was down in uh, Haynes Museum where they were doing the launch for the new uh, Kujitsu Kujitsu, Kujitsu uh, ceramic coating uh, and that was an interesting one so it, it was sort of lower it wasn't as, as fancy so to speak as, as the main launch for Fuso Mark II but it was still a very good day and this is my point is that they're putting money into it they and they there, they said that the European branch was spending lots of time and effort and money with quite a decent-sized team just to get the product through EU regulation. Well, I think it was quite sad, the situation with Jack over here, because he yes. basically built the brand in the UK from nothing. Yes. We'd never heard of it. Um, and he did a lot of really good work. He absolutely smashed the hobby market. But Nice chap as well. Yeah, really nice yeah. guy. But unfortunately... You know, it's it's one of those things where business is business. There's powers outside yeah. of this control. Yeah, business is business. And, and you know, Soft99 clearly saw that they needed a large operation in Europe because of the... the um, well, the potential Brexit. revenue, yeah. Yeah, because of the revenue that's there. Um, and they don't want to go to America. Demand, that's, that's the word I was looking yeah. for, because of the demand in Europe. They needed a full operation here. Um, so it is really sad, um, and it kind of... All ended pretty badly, um, yeah. but you know, um, 
sort of emotions aside, it looks like Soft 99 are piling massive resources into building the European yeah, oh, they're, they're, they're going to become a, a, a big deal. And there's lots of really interesting stuff that I learned on the various days. Uh, and we'll be writing about the magazine as well, about the Japanese detailing market, as well as everything else. So, for example, 70% of cars in Japan, is it 60 or 70% of cars on the road in Japan today have a ceramic coating on? Now, compare that to the UK or anywhere in Europe, and I think it's going to be more than double the next highest place. Do any of them have wax oil underneath yet, though? <laughs> cars don't rot in Japan. They only rot when they land here. Well, they do. I mean, they don't use salt on the roads, but their climate in Japan's got a, a wildly different climate. But if you go up to the north, it's like Scotland. You go down to the south, it's yeah. But you like can get like a, a, a 1993 Sylvia that's absolutely brand new, and then it lands in the UK, and it's a pile of cornflakes after about six months. Yeah. Well, they don't undercoat. They use a different undercoat for JDM cars. So the first thing, if you're when you're importing a good JDM car, like well any Subaru. Um, the first thing you do is... So how would you know about it. importing a good JDM car? I haven't imported He's read JDM about it in books, Ian. Uh, yeah, yes, you, you've missed out a word I noticed on that. I imported a good JDM car. Um, and to be honest, all, all, the, all the reason why it's not working currently is due to what we did in England to it. Um, but yeah, so that is, is something to consider. But the testing, I think, products go through is amazing. But anyway, we've talked enough about Soft 99. Incidentally, just for those of you listening in colour, the Bakerloo line is brown. Ah, oh, right, okay. Bakerloo. You can tick that one off your list now. There we go. Useless fact of the day. See, I actually love driving in London. I consider it hey, like do you a want, war do you, want, zone. do you want a useless BMW fact of the day? Yeah, go you for can just it. call them yeah. BMW yeah. facts. It's fine. So, uh, BMW's first car was actually an Austin 7. Yeah. Built under license. Yeah, no. Built under license from Dixie, mm -hmm. who was building it under license from Austin. Yeah. So, it was a third hand Austin 7. <laughs> How terrible is that? It's incredibly useless and incredibly depressing that I already knew that. <laughs> <laughs> Where are Swiss facts these days? There's a brand yeah, that I haven't Swiss heard much facts. about recently. The, well, by the look of it, they've been taken back on by HQ um, over on the on the on the continent um, with a, a a sales rep in this country that. It looks like they're focusing much more on the consumer market and there's not a lot of push, if any, for for the professional side of it at the moment. Well, I think the, you know, the, the sort of strategy that Reap took to open their centres, which I thought was a great idea, you know, there's there's definitely... I think, I think there's always been a market to have a national service for... Not a national service, a national brand for the, for service, for side, side, for the yeah. service side of detailing... You know, like QuickFit, mm -hmm. you know, QuickFit, mm -hmm. ATS, all those sorts of places originally would have been one shop. Yeah. Um, so I think it was a great strategy, but I'm just not sure how it affected the authorised detailer network when the people that were managing Swiss facts started yeah, not, not putting enough, themselves all over. But, Chinese walls around. Yeah. Um, but it's weird. I mean, I was Swiss facts approved in... I don't know, some time ago. Television was still colour, but it was a while ago. Pre-HD. Pre maybe. <laughs> it might was have been pre-HD. It pre must have been around, what, 209 or 210, something like that? Yeah, so... Yeah, 2010 maybe. 2010, 2011. Yeah. Um, and it was a big deal in those days. When you went oh, off it was a massive deal. It, it cost us an absolute fortune. It was a full two-day uh, two assessment course. And then at the end of it, we had to buy... A load of products as well before we could leave with the certificates and the then full master detailer kit wasn't it yeah um 
So it was a massive deal back then. And we it opened loads of doors for us. We did a load of work for Tipek in Cheshire. Mm-hmm. Um, we met loads of sort of performance car dealers that started sending us detailing work purely on the back of the brand. Yeah. And I think that's something that really had value to it back then. And it's missing from today's detailing market. I mean, with so many more approvals than there were, but none of them quite have the cachet of what Swissfax had that in those days. Well, it was like the, um, the old Zymol approval. That was, that was the pinnacle, wasn't it? That was even more expensive. Yeah. From, from what I've heard. got to learn not to nod on, pro, on podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> you know, are we allowed to say Zymol? Um, I don't know. We'll, we'll find out. out so. Yeah, because I know there's there was some... Well, in the past, spooky stuff going on on social media recently, wasn't there? Where somebody well, it wasn't tagged. it wasn't social media, was it? I mean, it was it was on the DW forum that in the old days, if you typed out the word, it would then just sort of disappear. Or so there was some it was banned. Yeah, I thought somebody, yeah, somebody, somebody hashtag where it, took, where it took out um, uh, where it took out the second letter or something in yeah. place with the start. No, it was uh, it was Martin that. Yeah, I think Martin shared a post recently, and and they retweeted it. Yeah, they retweeted it, so I think they might be back on. Yeah, no, I, I think the doors are back open, and, and it's sort of back into. But again, I mean, what happened to their wild ceramic coating that they came out with? <sighs> the one that looked like a bottle of, well, it was a like French liqueur. Yes. What happened to that? Was it Zymor that brought out the electric car? Yeah, they bought a specific. What was it called? Eon. Ion. Ion. Hmm. Ion. A specific coating for electric cars. Not, not even a coating. It was just it a spray sealant. Oh, spray sealant. Yeah, it was. It was in one of the um, one of the the Febreze. Uh, aerosol bottles. Well, I was always slightly confused by the, the Royale wax, specifically for one model of Bugatti, which I think there are only four or five ever in existence. Yeah, but you, you bought that because you had the money it's to like have that It's like out of wax that is only for millionaires. Yeah, and they'd buy it because it's just for millionaires. There oh. was, do you remember there was that um, app out on the, on the Apple store, really around about iPhone 4 time, which was £999, and it didn't do anything. <laughs> it just sat there. It was just a, yeah, I can waste. Well, do you remember, do you remember Virtu, Virtu phones that were basically yes. a Nokia 5110 yes. inside? Not 5110, like a Nokia 3210. 32 yeah. yeah. But it had all precious gems on the circuit boards. Yeah, Everything was crystal, platinum, crystal. titanium. Yes. And they were like 35 grand. Mm-hmm. But it was exactly the same as a 3210 inside. And the thing is, they took a 3210, covered it in diamonds, and it was actually more destructible than a 3210 in its natural state. <laughs> You'll, you, can, you, know, you can use a 3210 as a brake pad if you ever get stuck. <laughs> I've actually seen 3210s built into brick walls as the supporting structure. <laughs> they're the keystone. And and it broke Norris, the brick walls. It's the only thing known to man that can actually counteract Chuck Norris. <laughs> <laughs> the, um, I mean, there is a big trend for, for having something for the sake of being able to go down the pub say yeah I bought a thousand pound pot of wax so, I mean the, the problem I have is that even if I'm using Colonite 476 sometimes the wax I'm putting on the car is, is worth more than the car itself um, but it, it's only if you take it out of the glove box first <laughs> <laughs> so the there is a cachet to that and ultimately it's a sign of, of good branding strong brand isn't it if you yeah. can create that sort of an aurora around it I mean if you look at the fancy designer clothing and trainers and all that people are paying hundreds if not thousands of pounds for things that have a cost price even if you take into account R&D have a cost price in two figures I mean I remember back in a previous life when I was working from a manufacturer point of view and it was um, we worked out that we couldn't put 
put any more than about 80 quid's worth of raw ingredients into a 250 ml tub of wax if we wanted to. Um, and, you know, that was using the very best of everything. So to then say that a wax costs £3,000 was, was a I bit think, I think Dom's come out before and said it was they worked out about £100 worth of raw ingredients was the maximum they could yeah. squeeze into a... Well, the thing is, though, with, um, with Royale is that I think the Swarovski case was three and a half grand. Yeah. So packaging. what you were actually paying for, oh, it was free refills for life. But there was a three. As long as you owned it. So if you sold it on, it wouldn't get free Wasn't there refills a refill anymore. charge, though? It was, it was a... It yeah, was it was just like postage. It was like 100 euros or something. Yeah. But if you consider that, it's, you, you were more paying for a service... And if you keep it for a good few generations, then it will pay off. Yeah, whether or not they yeah. still do that, I don't know. But they seem to be working in the background quietly in the UK. Well, they're, they're in, trying, in, trying to sort of do some stuff, aren't they? Yeah, hopefully. they're in retail. They're in Halfords, we mentioned in previous podcast. Sorry, Swiss Facts. No, Zymol. Oh, no, we're not talking about Zymol. Oh, right, my bad. No, Swiss Facts. Yeah, the Swiss Facts. The, um, One thing I do know is they are redeveloping the website. The main, the ma- the main website, which website. will then filter down onto the, the yeah, local yeah. country website. So I think that's probably their first step in maybe a, a bit of a relaunch, rebrand, a refresh yeah. of the, and it's, uh, uh, you know, I've always, the image. I've, I've always sort of sing the praises of Swiss Facts. I love Swiss Facts stuff. Yeah. The thing is, yeah, I... I'm very pretentious to say, but... I, well, I, I like Swiss Facts for its entirety. Mm-hmm. So for sort of... Comparative waxes, there are others, you know. Mm. Um, uh, 185 quid for a best of show, you can probably find one that's cheaper. But you're not buying into the pot of wax, you're also buying into the brand. It's like, you know, a, a Casio edifice will tell the time exactly. In fact, a Casio edifice will tell time better than a Rolex Perpetual Oyster. But you buy. Is that the, ro- the black one you used to have in school that you squeeze in it lit up green? No, that's that's like the Casio seven ninety nine one. But the G Shocks aren't cheap. I thought I was going to ask. Yeah, but that's that's because of um, like fad, isn't it? They've come back in fashion. Yeah, I don't pay any more than twenty pounds for a watch. No, but the, the no, the edifice is quite a nice sort of a brightlingy type looky chronographs. But they tell the time better than a Rolex. Mm. But you nice. buy a Rolex for sixteen and a half grand. A because it's made out of precious metals not 16 and a half grand's worth, but B, because you're buying into Rolex. You're, you're buying into being a brand. Yeah, I always thought Swiss Facts was like Rolls-Royce, and I appreciate it. If I'm sitting in it's nice, but I'd never trade in my Subaru for a Rolls-Royce. No, that's, I'll have to disagree there. Okay. I'll have to disagree, because if you've ever been in a Rolls-Royce... Which I have. You, you get every penny of that. And there's not a lot that back. I wouldn't trade your Subaru in for. <laughs> if, I'd trade your Subaru in for a lift home. <laughs> away from the Subaru. <laughs> no, with Swiss Facts as well, the other thing I'll always say about them is that they are easy to use. Now, that's not such a, a massive thing from a consumer point of view, but when you're a detailer using them in daily work, the wax is... There is never any smearing. There's never any problem buffing them off, or at least well, no, nothing that I've experienced. The, the only... The only one that I will probably single out is the um if you say clean bond no, no it was the cleaner wax. What was it called? The cleaner wax. Cleaner fluid. Uh, cleaner fluid. Cleaner um, fluid grey. The pro one. The pro one. That was really greasy. Yeah. Again, it's it's if you if you're using that I think using that by hand doesn't work as well. Um 
But just well, use it as, as a prep before putting the wax on. The hand one was the chocolate sauce, wasn't it? Yeah. That was chocolate sauce. What are Dodo Juice up to these days, Bert? You keep in touch with, uh, with Dom. How are yeah, they well, I've, I've been a lifelong Dodo fan. Um, me too, actually. They're, they're just Mom. very cool. I mean, I, I, I don't know. For me, I can see the challenge because when they came out, a, the market was small. They were the, about the first genuine enthusiast product with funky styling, funky everything. They've got loads of business and branding and marketing awards. I mean, Dom is a, is a marketing genius. PJ has got a, a graphic design ability. That PJ likes to, uh, he likes to antagonize brands, doesn't he? Oh, he's, they're, they're disruptors. And they <laughs> were disruptors from the very start. They were disruptors. And for example, that early crusade was against people saying it was 100% Carnuba when it wasn't yeah. and stuff like that. And so they carried on like that. And their products, I mean, I still use the products today. That really, I, I enjoy them for my skill level, which is not admittedly particularly high, but at where I'm at, they work for me. And the um, thing that concerns me, though, is that they were new, hip, and trendy, but now they're the orthodox. Now they're established. They've been around since, I think, 2006, 2007, something like that. Um, and so they're suddenly the old school. And there was so many new school brands coming around with social influencers backing up left, right, center, and all kind of living on the social media 30-second life cycle. Um, how are they going to compete? Because their branding is too far out for old, stodgy people who like kind of squares and very traditional kind of autoglim, Swiss fact style branding. But it's also not new and wacky enough for the kids who can't pull their trousers up properly. I think the one thing that's always going to keep Dodo Juice relevant is the no bull attitude. Yes. They never go down the route of, oh, you know, look what this will do. It's like, you know, this is what it is. It's great. Buy it. Well, it's I, as I simple agree. as that. Yeah, I, I agree with on, on a macro scale. On a micro scale, I worked for Dom, as it happened, at Castle Coombe one day about four or five years ago because uh, I think his one of his, his staff members had, had got ill after a curry or something and I needed to take over last minute. And I knew nothing. I, I knew nothing of the products and stuff like that. I, I knew enough to talk about my favourites, but I certainly didn't know pricing and all the rest of it. And all these people coming up, and they were schooling me. Their client base is so loyal. And every, because it's Dom and PJ and Andy and all those guys are the ones doing the shows during the season day in day out um they actually build a rapport with, with it with the customers and i really enjoyed the time you know doing that show um but i think there is a, a very loyal following and there are quite a few facebook groups for them uh, and internationally they're very strong as well um particularly in certain parts of europe and stuff so no I, I, I really hope to see it kind of resurge but i think they are at risk from the young trendy pop-up brands that are appearing every, every second and how you compete with that is difficult yeah i mean the problem with that, though, is that, you know, the long game to play, which is what they're doing, mm -hmm. is to realise that all these new brands come and go. I mean, we could probably sit here for an hour and mention every new brand that has appeared in the last six years, and we could mention all of the ones that have disappeared in the last six years, and we'd fill a podcast with it. I agreed, but the problem you get the problem is you get the. On the one hand, you could call them early adapters. The people who are can we call brand whores? I, I think people who will well, go I think from probably, one to the next, the next, probably, the next. Yeah, brand hoppers is probably hoppers. a nicer phrase. That is a nicer phrase. Agreed. And and the, so you, there's a certain portion of the market who will only ever buy something if it's new or, or special or different, rather than finding something that works and sticking with it, which is kind of what old people like I do um, the problem is though there's a fine line there's a sort of a there's a real sweet spot of the two mm. and that's still looking at new products and trying new products and seeing where they fit into your repertoire and if you pick a good brand you'll never need to replace anything 
but you still need to go out there and try the new stuff. That is very true. That is very true. And, and actually, in terms of pioneering, I mean, they did Ferrolube, so clay lube with fallout remover. They did a I host... Gonna, I was going to say, you go on with things like Ferrolube, but that's one of... If they have got a failure, they don't shout about their products enough or that it, it, it doesn't get broadcast. You know, you look back... Uh, well, I was a, a Dodo reseller in 20, 2011, 2012. So wheel guards for the hoses. Yes, wheel guards. Yeah. I, I think I had five sets of those sitting on the shelf for a good couple of years and ends up um, popping on, on eBay and then just to sort of clear off some space. And you look now, and those wheel guards are everywhere. They're, they're, they are ahead of their time in some cases, and sometimes they just make products which are fantastic, but they just don't get the attention that a lot of, say, a lot of the scene um, yeah, they're, they're before, before their time. And nut plugs. I love nut plugs. Yeah. Um, I, I've got God knows how many sets. And and again, even their, even their clay sort of finger mitts for the clays, I use Just those that. who don't know, nut plugs are a little tool to clean out the uh, the, mm. the whole fit for your wheel nuts. The lugs. Lug holes. Lug, lug holes. Lug holes. Yeah. Yeah. Clean out your lug holes. Well, I had um, PJ got upset with me recently. What happened? Wind change. Well, directly, to related, directly related to what we've just said. Um... My dad was looking for a new supplier for ceramic coatings. Mm-hmm. Um, we went, well, he went with CarPro in the end. But I was, um, I was chatting to PJ about something and, and I said that I'd, you know, I'd switch my dad to CarPro and he was quite upset that I hadn't spoken to him about the Dodo Juice ceramic yeah, coating. Yeah, the supernatural range, yeah. Quite honestly, I, never, I didn't even know they had one. And it wasn't because I don't follow the brand, because I do follow the brand. I mean, the, the Dodo world... Facebook group, mm-hmm. you know, I follow them on Facebook and everything, and and I hadn't seen anything about it, um, and PJ wasn't very happy with me. Um, <laughs> and you do and know it, yeah, I must no, admit. I, I remember that being launched, and the, there was a, a bit of the, we're doing this because people have been asking us for a ceramic coating. This is a good ceramic coating if you really want it, but, you know, we also do a lot of other good products, so try those first. But the ceramic mm. coatings there if you really want it. If you don't want it, don't worry about it. But if you do want it, it's, it the, yeah. the, the, there wasn't, again, there wasn't that massive push, look at what we've got, ceramic coating, bang, bang. Yeah, and they had the opportunity. That came in a lot bef- a long time before quite a lot of the other more common ones now. Yeah. Well, the, and the, the first um, detailing brand glass sealant that I got hooked on was Dodo Juice Supernatural. Supernatural. Yeah, me too. I tried, uh, like we were saying on the other podcasts, Rainix was our sort of staple diet mm. uh, for years. Tried G-Technic G1. I've just found it too much hard work. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we became Dodo approved and I was like, oh, I'm going to try some of this Supernatural. It was awesome. You know, it was the first sort of long, long to medium turn glass sealant. Easy on, that I easy used. off. It was mega. It was really good. Mm. And I mean, it still is. Well, now they're, they're, they're almost for, forming, I, th- I think. I might be completely wrong, but I think they're kind of doing the going in full reverse. So remember Carbon Collective, wax is dead ethos of the whole kind of, oh, you don't need a wax anymore because we've got ceramic coatings. Mm. I've seen a bit of motion from Dodo, which is a bit of kickback, saying, ah, ceramic coatings, they're, they're fly-by-night, they'll be gone soon, everybody will be cre- screaming out for, for good old-fashioned Carnuba wax um, in the future. So I think it's almost like a, a battle of ethos. Yeah, but it could also be similar to... People our age, you go out and desperately try and find mini disc players and mini discs. True. I wonder you know, there's, a, there's a possibility it becomes a of that kind of thing. Yeah. I hope not. I hope we do see it because I think that it's like a real. We, we, we chatted about it on the on the podcast, um, you know, a, a couple of episodes ago. We all said that we'd go for a wax in the summertime. Yeah. You know, it's. I think the romance is 
kind of quite. Wait, a... You're talking about cars. Yes. Oh. Yeah, I, not like, bikini lines. Have to attract your comments too. Not bikini lines. <laughs> yeah. Who else have we got? Kosh Kemi. What are they up to? Oof. Well, I remember... Slims are the importer in the UK. They are, and I. I, th- I, I think I... there's something going on bigger picture at headquarters. To be honest, at Koch. Yeah, yeah. Because it seems like the 1K Nano thing was a massive hype. There was a massive push, and then it just sort of stopped. They were internally sold, though, weren't they? Uh, it, it went around in circles a bit. So I think because there was... Um, it's family the, owned. It was family the, the, the owned. The brother and sister basically... Well, I think, the, the, I think the sister was very poorly. Yeah. I think the sister was very poorly, or the brother was very poorly. And I think it, it kind of affected the the sort of... The hierarchy at yeah. the top. Um, I mean, when they came, I remember when they first landed and I saw the first ones come through and the products were all good. And it was, they were, but then I looked at the kind of the German presence and they're kind of like the autoglim of Germany in a way, in that they're not considered super exclusive or particularly, you know, no, it's, well, it's, the, it's the, very the main bread and butter of, of Kochkemi's business is dealership stuff. They yeah. do a hell, they do or did a hell of a lot of stuff for BMW, for yeah, well, Mercedes. All of, so if you, I don't, I'm not sure if it's still the same now, but if you go into a BMW dealership and you can buy BMW detailing products or cleaning products, and it's all obviously Koshkemi. Yeah. There's there's literally no getting around it. The they're, text, they're mostly Gardex over in this country. We think over on the constant. They yeah, are, over, are yeah, over here, I think it's Gardex now. Well, the protection packages are Gardex. Yeah. Or but BMW the BMW, BMW AG supplied cleaning products yeah. used to be Koshkemi. Yeah. yeah. Well, I remember when they... That's when they, why the font... And they supply a the lot font of is the same font huh. on both BMW products and Koshkemi. Ah, okay. They look identical. I'll, have to, I'll, I'll try and track some down of the old stuff and, and and. But again, what we were saying earlier about other companies making products for each each other, we know quite a lot of companies that Koshkemi make the um, make yeah. the polishes for. Yeah, under, I mean, under recipe. Yeah, I mean, Koshkemi, in my opinion, are probably the best. So the Mac Daddies of making the polishes, manufacturing are. polish, and all of the, our favourite polishes are manufactured and they're not they're not formulated by but they're manufactured by Koshkemi because the equipment required to produce machine polish is obscenely expensive yeah so if you see like a small white label brand saying we bring out our own machine polish you know they've they'll need 500 grand's worth of mixing and paddle equipment to get that right yeah and so, they need to make massive batches to be able to sell it so even the biggest companies will go and buy their polish or they'll go and have their polish formulated at one of the big houses like Scholl, Zonax, yeah, 3M. And, and even non, what we call non-white label companies, so people actually make most of their products will at the very least buy the abrasives in and then do some of the blending themselves. So that's they'll, the they'll never tell you though. <laughs> no, <laughs> they'll never no. tell you, but it, we know it happens. You know, we've spoken to guys within that sector of the industry, the sort of um, procurement um, yes, yeah. sector, and you know we know it happens. Yeah, it exists, that but works. they'll never advertise it. Well, I remember when Koch first came over here and talked to Chris McDonald, who ran Repan Swiss Facts, aforementioned at the time, and he was explaining the process to become the UK Koch Chemie side. They had to spend a week or two out there, basically selling themselves to show that they were worthy to bring in Koch. Because when it first came, I thought, why the hell haven't we seen this earlier? Because it's these were really, really strong, and there's not a weak product in the range. And Ditto with the 1K Nano that really had its place. It was a bit different. It wasn't. It's not quite ceramic coating. Um, but it's a bit more than the kind of stuff that you'd have at home. Um, and it was a real strong, and you know, we ran the, the approved sort of network for it initially, and we were 
promised a lot of support and backup and stuff that never quite materialised, and then it went over to Slims and stuff. But they've got, you know, particularly under the Slims and the Morelli umbrella, there is a real potential with a bit of time, investment, and energy to turn it into, you know, such a premium brand over here, such a, not a premium necessarily, but a, a successful Desirable brand. brand. Yeah. Yeah. prominent brand. Yeah, and, and certainly if somebody said to me, right, you can only detail with one brand of products from now until the end of time, Kochmi would be in the shortlist for me. Not really? should be the winner, but it would be yeah. in the shortlist. Mm. For, for one that covers every base, yeah. yeah. I can see that. Yeah. I mean, every base, enough bases. Most well, they, bases. They have, but this is the other thing, is that when it first came to the UK, it wasn't the whole range. And then we latterly got quite a lot of the other products. So they've got a dedicated Alcantara cleaner. They've got a liquid hard wax, which was, it's like radiant wax, like the old AG stuff, and various other products that are unheard of. And it was only when we did the mega test that people started hearing about FSE. Nobody was talking about FSE before we did the mega test. And it won hands down for the, for the kind of the, the cleaning element and water spot removal element of the quick detailer test. And it, then stocks ran dry in every reseller on the land. And I remember getting called from a, a, a big reseller, not the biggest, but a big reseller in our little industry niche, um, <laughs> almost shouting at me saying, why didn't you give me a heads up about this? We've sold out, everybody's asking for it. They're all pointing towards the magazine and I can't sell it to them. Um, so, you know, it, it, it's these things need shouting about. And I think that's part of our role as well, getting a bit more existential. Our role partly is to find, you know, cut through a bit of the BS, find the golden nuggets, and you know, help get that out so that products that are worth their worth their salt, so to speak, are actually commercially successful mm. as well as chemically effective. So on that note then, what brands do we think are worth watching? Mm. Any brands that are sort of appearing? I mean, it's 2020 is probably the worst year, worst year for a brand to approach the market and appear. To yeah. approach the professional market, yeah. Mm. I'm enthusiastic. They've got a lot of time on that. <laughs> well, any, any, any that you think are worth a watch? I mean, I've got a couple. Yeah, well, I, I'm going to put my hand up here and say Sansom, um, simply because I know the guy or met the guy at Waxtor a couple of years ago who's behind it. He was behind a shopping channel product, big volume product going to sort of, I think, Lonely Housewives at three in the morning. Um, and so he knows that part of the market very well, but he really wanted to create a prosumer um, product for the keen enthusiast who knew what they're talking about, a kind of a premium product. And he put a lot of effort into the r and I did some consultation work with him. Um, and now some very well-respected detailers are putting their name behind it as well. It's in with Ultimate Finish and various other resellers. Uh, I think it's one that's really going to grow. So that's, that's where, if I was a betting man, that's a place I'd put my money. Well, I think for me, especially after our visit to Milan, I think still, I mean, I was talking about Labo a couple of years ago. I yeah. think still Labo Cosmetica is going to be a, a heavyweight in this industry. They've got the legs. Yeah, and, you know, the time that we spent with their chemists and stuff, these guys aren't messing around. You know, they've got the backing from the parent company, which is Mafra, which is, I think it's been in business 50 years. Yes, family run. And family I think 50 years. grandson is currently running it. So yeah, they've, they've the got experience in car wash. Their main business has been car wash chemicals for years. And now they've got this sort of new project, mm -hmm. which is Labo Cosmetica, and we, you know, we, we struggle to fault it at the moment. Yeah. The, the only thing I would say that's kind of holding Labo back is their, is trying to translate over what each of the products actually does on the bottle. Well, because we've got fantastic, interesting names, I think. Yeah, but it's, it's quite hard to reach and say, ah, oh, that's what it does. Think like, um, Kronos. 
Yeah, Kronos Veritas. What, what, if, if you didn't know what Kronos did, what would you think it does? Watches. No idea. <laughs> I, was, I was going to think it would be a time shift. Exactly. <laughs> for cleaning the carbon off your exhaust. It's a fantastic product, but the, there just needs to, they don't need to change the name. They just need to find a way of communicating exactly what each one does, whether that's giving out posters to everybody who buys yeah. them just with a, a conversion chart for... Yeah, I mean, the marketing is very pretty. The labels are high quality. They're all Fantastic foil labels. Marketing. You can open the labels, and if you open on even a small bottle, the label opens about 25 foot and gives you lots of things. It's great for teaching yourself Russian, for example. Um, but the products are strong. And I think they, bouncing back to Dodoitis, they've got the same thing. In, they look at a problem and find a product to solve it rather than look at an existing genre of products. So most companies say, right, we need a shampoo, we need a fallout remover, et cetera, et cetera. They say, we need to clean exhaust pipes, we need to clean bodywork. And they've got three, four shampoos. Now, we were in an earlier podcast extracting the michael slightly mm. from companies producing sort of half a dozen shampoos that are basically the same just different colors but in labo's case they were saying right this one's mildly acidic this one's neutral this one's mildly alkaline and they've got particular purposes mm. and i think certainly for me at least their, their explanation was was strong and i thought yeah. nice um who else have we got revive that's an interesting brand yes one of the members of pvd has recently taken that over yeah very so not a new brand but a new yeah a, a, a revival of it as it were. Hey. Hey. Uh, yeah. but i quite like it it's got that kind of retro-y good woody sort of it looks like it should have like a beard oil free with every yeah <laughs> it's got that um yeah it's got that sort of vibe going for it and i, I kind of mm -hmm. like it i think it's i think it's certainly a very strong image it's and got, I think it's yeah. certainly got room to market a certain It's got a niche, yeah. Mm -hmm. It's definitely got a niche. And that was started, I know a bit of the background, and it was started by two actual chemists. So again, it's not just marketing men getting together. Um, and I believe there's, there's certainly a chemist there, and it was uh, the ownership has sort of moved around a little bit. Uh, and as a result, it's got some new investment, and they've got real potential as long as they hit the right niche. And I think the products are strong, and I think everything is on point. So yeah, that's definitely one to watch in 2020, 2021. Um, and then the last one, I think, is probably Zirconite, which I'm going to hand over to you because you've been speaking to them quite a lot recently, haven't you? Yeah, well, because Zirconite is a sub-brand of Concept Chemicals. So Concept do things like Expert 60, and they've got a whole lot of other range of, of, of different sort of branded products as well as their own Concept Chemicals bulk range. Which And, they, and they've been a massive body shop supplier for years. Exactly. Because I remember seeing, I think I saw Concept back in sort of early 2000s, 2000, 2001, at a huge insurance body shop in Manchester, and it was all concept chemicals. Yeah. The whole Valentin Bay, all of the sort of post-work waxes and everything was all silicon-free concept. Yeah, it's all big companies. It's like these big companies we never heard of, like um, Tetrasil, for example, guys buying T-Cut and all the rest of it, or uh, Nielsen Chemicals, big, big old companies, but you don't necessarily see them in our sort of enthusiast world so much. So yeah, Zirconite, they're focusing on the ceramic protection side. They're definitely... Um, one to to kind of focus on and have a look at and, and give a try out. I know they're looking to expand their professional network as well. But anyway, I think for the sake of uh, this podcast, we're going to call it a day and we're going to wrap it up. Um, and we're going to touch on some of the topics we mentioned earlier in a future podcast to spread it out so you can have uh, us in little, little doses, which is how everybody says they want us. Um, but anyway, it is goodbye from me. And I... And me. And we will speak soon, I'm sure. Thank you very much for listening and goodbye. <laughs>